0: Please be seated. As we open up God's word this morning, let us go to him and pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, as I prayed before, let anything that stands in the way of hearing your truth proclaim this morning, whether it be through song, through prayer, through the fellowship of your Christian body, through this message. Lord, remove it. Open our hearts to hear you clearly. Grip our hearts, O oh God. Let the words that trip from my mouth, be of you and be pleasing to you. And let anything that would hinder that just be gone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are almost there, y'all. Oh my goodness. We have been through the entire Bible book by book. Uh, We have taken breaks for Advent. We have ushered in a pandemic in the middle of that, I think, you know. So it's been Absolutely a wild ride, and yet uh, here we are at the book of Jude, a one-chapter book, another little short yet powerful statement of the Christian faith and instructions for us, and then to uh, tomorrow. And next Sunday on July 4th, we will, sh- we will shut it down with, um, with the book of Revelation, and I give thanks to God that I don't have to preach on the book of Revelation, and that is going to be a joyous, wonderful thing for me. So here we are at the at the book of uh, of Jude, and uh, my mom is in, in town, and uh, we had uh, my uh, my mother-in-law in town even before that. So my my kids have had a chance to be with their nana and Meemaw for the last two two and a half three weeks, and now we're getting ready to head over to uh, Pennsylvania after this worship service to see my grandmothers. My grandmothers are are still uh, alive and doing well, and so we uh, get to go and meet them and see them, and they get to meet my newest daughter, Karis, and so so we're looking forward to that. Grandparents are wonderful. They are wonderful. They spoil us and they are great. If you are a grandparent, yay for you. The other thing that grandparents are good for is when their grandson is a pastor, they make great sermon illustrations. And so as we're talking about that, um, I, I, have, I had two grandfathers, my pop-pop and my grandpa, pop-pop Yoder and grandpa O'Shea, two dynamically different People, uh, and you're thinking your last name is Horse. What happened? Grandpa Yoder is actually my 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 quote unquote step grandpa, but that's he's all I've ever known. So, but that is that is they have gone on to to be with Jesus. They loved, absolutely loved to play cards. Anyone else card players in here? Raise your hand if you love to play cards. It's fine. My Grandpa Yoder, he loved to play uh, a game called Pinochle. Anyone play Pinochle? Raise your hand, Pinochle players. Amen. Yes, all of you. Who's Euchre? Any Euchre in here? Yeah, totally an Ohioan thing. I, I, I've, I've learned to play Euchre, but my Pinochle self just can't quite always get it. But yes, my, grand, my papa played Pinochle, and it was always fun. So what would happen is, now Pinochle is a four-person game, and what would happen is my grandpa and my dad would sit on opposite sides of the table, and my, my mama and my mom would sit on these sides of the table, and they would start to play. And the way the game is kind of played is actually there's so many rules and my sister and I who learned how to play from our parents feel that they continue to change the rules to suit their needs, but whatever. But as as my grandparents and my parents would play and I would watch my mom. There she is, mom raise your hand, there she is, okay. Oh, she is not sweet when she plays cards. And my mom would definitely, would not hold back, much to the chagrin of my pop-pop. And typically, almost always what would happen is the first round, the ladies would, would take it. They would win, because my mom was, you know, a kind of a ruthless player. And uh, my dad's a, ruth- a ruthless player as well, but it was always fun to see the exchange stream to pop up in my mom, because they would win, and my pop-pop would just sit back from the table and be like, it's just a game. It's just a game. <laughs> Does anyone... It's anyone's game. And then the next round would come, and he would play to win. And my mom wouldn't back down, and she would play to win. Hold that phrase in your mind, play to win. My grandpa O'Shea was also a pinochle player, but he also like, but that doesn't work for my illustration. He also played uh, poker as well. And so we also learned how to do nickel-dime friendly poker. And now the difference between the, this side of the story is that when we played nickel-dime poker with my grandpa O'Shea, it was very, he would also play to win uh, and it would remember every card. It was insane. But When we would play nickel-dime poker, you would think that, you know, it was just a friendly game. And you would throw your nickels and dimes in. And then when the game was over, everyone got to walk home with the same amount of nickels and dimes that they came with. No. Grandpa O'Shea, who also played to win, he played for keeps. So keep that in your mind: playing for keeps. And it was very, very a, a good education for us, because quite literally, the adults were taking candy from a baby. You know they would just like, "Oh, I'm sorry, you lost your quarters." That's the way it is. But that is what we grew up in. I love playing cards, but my grandparents taught us to play to win and to play for keeps. Now why? Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because this is kind of the message that comes in in the book of Jude. Now, if you read for read Jude, you're thinking, I don't quite understand that, but stay with me. So Jude. Jude is one of Jesus' brothers. And just like James, Jude came to the faith post-resurrection, which I always think is funny, because you would think family members would have a ringside seat to how awesome Jesus is, but they were also like, you know, he's the oldest, whatever, he thinks he's God. And that's kind of where they were. <laughs> and then when he died and rose again, they were like... he was right, so I better fall in line. And so him and James both came to the faith post-resurrection. And not only did they come to faith, they have books in the Bible. So, I mean, they not only came to faith, but they really you know, got into this, what was happening here and were prominent players. Jude became a traveling teacher and he wrote this letter to a group of Messianic Jews. Messianic Jews are, would be the Jewish converts, kind of thing. Those who were born Jewish and then came to faith in Jesus. And so that's important because if you were to read through it, which we're not going to read through the whole book of Jude. If you were to read through it, there are lots of Old Testament examples in there. And he's also quoting from extra biblical sources that we don't have in our Bible. So like the book of Enoch and the book of Moses. He's pulling from those sources as well. So as if you read it, you might get a little like, where is this at in the Old Testament? He's pulling from extra biblical sources. But his audience would know very well where he is pulling from and why he's saying what he is saying. This letter is very, very short and the reason why he wrote it, he was going to write it and have it be a longer exposition about the salvation and the grace that they all shared. It was going to be more touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy. But then he got word that this community was getting swept away as, as we, time and time and again, through the back end of these letters, we continue to hear this reoccurring problem, do we not? that people are being swept away, that false teaching is creeping in, that this false teaching is being believed and it's getting into the root of believers. And so it warrants these fathers of the faith to send a letter to say, get your act together. And Jude is, Jude is the same way. And he says there right at the beginning, he switches his, his purpose for writing. And now he is writing to warn them of these false teachings and the sensational truth that they are believing And he wants to switch the narrative for them. He wants to say to them, stop believing in that. And instead of believing in that, I need you to actually fight for the defense of the faith. They needed to realize that outside forces were playing to win and were playing for keeps for their soul. And so this is how Jude opens up his letter. Jude, the only chapter, verse 1 through 4. Here's the word of the Lord. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So right at the very, very onset of the letter, he establishes who this audience is. I am speaking to called, beloved, kept for Jesus people. and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds them of their call. He calls them beloved, that the grace in which they have shared. And he says to them, Beware. You have sensational truth tellers. You have perversions of grace seeping into your midst. And they are playing to really win and keep your soul from the Lord. So he says, let's switch that narrative. He wants them to contend for the faith and quite honestly, to play to win themselves and to play for keeps. Let's talk about what that means. So the first thing I'm going to look at is what it means to play to win. And where I'm getting that phrase from is right from verse three, where he says to contend for the faith. And the thing is, is that as, we, as we've laid out... There is an issue, there's an overwhelming issue that is happening in these communities. And the overwhelming issue is that false teachers and false thinking and perversions of grace taking Jesus off his throne, making him into a pseudo-Jesus, a Jesus that fits their needs, and that truth at a very rapid rate is being believed and is becoming foundational in the hearts of those who said they were for the Lord. If you will pause a second and think about our own culture and our own time, we're not that very much different. There are people who continually try to pervert the grace of Gordon. When I say pervert the grace, I mean to try to completely deny its existence and change it and alter it and make it into something that it's not. And to get out these sensational truth statements that diminish the power of the Lord Quite frankly, because they don't understand it and they don't accept it and it makes them scared. And so to make it into something else and present it is what false teachers do back then and for right now. And so Jude is speaking to this. He is saying to this right there at the start at verse 3, contend for the faith, which means to basically play to win. In the Old Testament, there's an example of this. A very common example of this, and it reminded me of, as I was reading Jude and he was talking about all the Old Testament stuff, it really came to, to mind that, that we as humans, we, uh, we, we have a hard time of really staying with the truth and the faith of who Jesus is. And this is not a new thing. This is a thing that has happened from the very, very onset uh, of the beginning of, of, of when God gathered the Jews together and said, you are my people. And so I went to the Old Testament and I looked at one of those examples of people believing sensational truth, of trying to diminish the power of God. And one of those examples is the golden calf. Do you all remember the golden calf, right? And back in the Old Testament times. So let's get a really quick recap of the Old Testament. There were a group of, of Jewish folks. They were held captive by Egypt. they were enslaved. Moses said, "Let my people go," and they went and they crossed over the Red Sea. All the things, everyone's happy. Then they got hungry, everyone's sad. All the it's just this is back and forth between Moses and the folks. Then Moses pieces out. He goes up a mountain and has one-on-one time with the Lord. How very kind of Moses. While the rest of the Jewish folks are sitting down at the bottom of this mountain, thinking, "Where to go?" He brought us out of Egypt. We've witnessed all of these things, and now he's gone what is going on? And so they grew tired of that. They grew tired of waiting. Moses is having his mountaintop Jesus experience or God experience, well, Jesus, God, whatever. But he's having that mountaintop experience with the Lord. People down here don't understand what's going on. So they go to Moses's brother, Aaron. And they say to Aaron, we're tired of this. We want a new God. Let's fashion a a new God. Let's put this together. And so Aaron willingly lets them do that. Let's look at this. Exodus 32, verses 4 through 6. So after they said, we want a new God, let's make us gods who shall go before us. Let's do it by our hands, verse 4. He received the gold, Aaron received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, this golden cow. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Look at how rapid the decline of their zeal, their faith in the Lord. Remember, they witnessed majestic, awesome things. They witnessed the release of Egypt. They witnessed the plagues that rained down to make that happen. They witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They had a ringside seat for what God can do. But as soon as they had to sit there and just wait a moment, they went crazy. They couldn't sit there. Idle hands, right? Devil's playground. And so they go to Aaron and they say, put this calf together. We're going to worship this. We want to worship this God because this God will do what we want to do. And not only do we want you to put that together, we're going to build an altar to it. We're going to sacrifice to it. We're going to hold this little God up, this golden cow up. And this is what we're going to follow. And God says to Moses, "'Go down to your people, quick, "'whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, "'because they have corrupted themselves. "'They have turned aside quickly "'out of the way that I commanded them, "'and they've made for themselves a golden calf "'and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it "'and said, "'These are your gods, O Israel, "'who brought you up out of the land of Egypt.'" What struck me about this story was how quickly it descended into chaos. It started with, let's just make a new God, which is bad enough. Most of us do that in our lives, and we don't even know it. We take something in our lives, and we fashion it into an idol, and we say, this is our God. And you don't even realize that we're doing that. But here these people did that. They get a golden calf, and it's really funny, we don't have time to go through it, if you look through the, the, this story, Moses comes down and looks at his brother and like, dude, why? And he's like, well, we threw gold in the fire and out came this calf, so we just thought that that was what it was going to be. I mean, it's the most poorest way to, to really argue back away, but how quickly they descended into not only fashioning this idol, but then building an altar to it, and then worshiping it. How quickly they moved God out of the picture and just completely forgot about him all together. And it is a reoccurring issue. Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about how the evil one can lead us astray. Paul in a lot of his letters speaks to this as well, that you're being taken away by these false truths. Because the truth of human depravity, our sinfulness, is that we very quickly and very easily can be swayed. We very quickly and very easily can move from the truth, the absolute truth that Jesus is Lord and that through his grace and salvation, we are one with him. We can move so quickly from that because our sin says to us, we can be our own gods. This absolute truth that the church is peddling, really can just become relevant. We can pick and choose what we want out of this, can't we? And we can do this because we're sitting in here just like the Israelites in the waiting for the second coming. And maybe we as people don't wait really well. And so what Jude does is he explains to them in those first four verses, these are the false truths that you're being taken away from. One, it's the perversion of grace. And what that means is that these false teachers are trying to say to these believers that you can do whatever you want. You can sin. You can go down immoral ways. You can do all of those things because the grace of God, the grace of Christ, will make you clean. So go out and go party. It's a reoccurring thing, right? We know that that happens in Romans. It is a reoccurring issue. And the second thing is, and this is the most important that continues happens to this day, is that he says that they are pulling the deity of Christ down. They are saying that he is not the one true God. And therefore, you don't necessarily have to follow him. He's got a lot of good ideas. He's got a lot of nice ways how to interact with people. But he's not the one true God. And therefore, you don't have to believe him as absolute truth. So Jude tells them in verse 3, contend for the faith. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Quite honestly, what he is telling them to do is play to win. He removes the attitude of it's just a game. He is saying, like my mom at the next part of the game, you play to win. Contend for the faith is translated in the Greek to mean uh, to earnestly strive to win, basically. Uh, Think of an athlete going into a competition. They go into that competition for victory's sake. Not to go into that competition and get a participation trophy. That is not what we are looking for here. He is saying to go in and to contend for the faith, to fight tooth and nail to defend who Jesus Christ is, not only to the world around you, but even to your own heart, so that you stay with it and that you keep with it and that you are not swayed away so easily. I earnestly write this to you to contend for the faith. And then in verse 20 to 21, he explains to them how this is done. How this is done, I lost my marker, is by this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How do you contend for the faith? Jude says this. You build yourselves up. You continue to learn. You continue to seek Jesus out in his word. You continue to study. You continue to interact. You continue to build up on that foundation of faith. And see it multiply. And then he says you pray in the Holy Spirit. Meaning you have that open communication with the source of truth every day to pray to him, to listen, to hear what he has to say. Psalm 1 talks about it being like a tree, a tree that is planted by the stream and gets its nutrients from that. That's what he is saying here. Build up your faith. Be that strong tree. Stand there by that stream and get that constant truth from the Holy Spirit. And the last thing he says is then to keep yourselves for the love of God, to stay and to guard that. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, those who love me will keep my commands. And that doesn't mean that his love is conditional on us being to to successfully do that. What that means is that your love is proven and is demonstrated in how you long to follow him and stay with him and guard what he says for us to do. So play to win. How many of you would be upset if this were to happen? You okay with that? It's messing with the microphone, and I'm hot, and I'm bringing the fire. So anyway, so he is saying to play to win, to contend for that faith, to build that up. And the thing is, is because the opposition is trying like heck to loosen your grip on what you hold to be true both here in Jude's time and my friends in our time. You need to know that. The opposition, the sensuality, the false truth that Jesus is not real, that you can be your own person, that is an ongoing thing that the devil tries to use constantly to loosen the grip that we have on the Lord. The devil is playing to win and to play for keeps, but the sad thing is is he doesn't realize that he has lost. You are playing on the side of the winning team. So contend for the faith. Play to win. Keep yourselves in the love of God, which brings me to my second point. Play for keeps. The book ends of this letter, the beginning and the end of this letter. I don't know if you've noticed it. The beginning and the end of this letter talk about being kept. In verse 1, it says, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. past." Tense, meaning that you are owned, that you are possessed, that you are in the possession of the Lord, the Lord who calls you by name, the Lord who will leave the 99 to go find you the one who is lost, are kept in his hands, never to be let go. Opening promise. And then at the end, in the doxology, verse 24, now to him, Jesus, who is able to keep you future tense, from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The start and the finish on these great promises of what it means to be kept and to keep on keeping on with the Lord. That you are called and claimed as his own, can never be taken away. And that because of that relationship, he will keep on keeping with you until the day of judgment where you are presented before the Father, sinful as you are, prone to wander as you are, and are blameless. This is an immense promise for us to hold on to. The spiritual urgency for us is to play to win and play for keeps. But the reality, the absolute truth is God has already won, and you are already kept. And so in the middle of this letter, Jude outlines all of the crazy false teachings, all of the crazy things that will happen. And he says that as we go on and on until the second coming of the Lord, more and more and more false teachers and false teachings will arise and try to get into your stuff. My friends, we are on the crescendo to that end times. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or whatever. No one knows. But ever since Jesus came the first time, the end times have started. And we are on this journey. And so as each day passes, more and more opportunity will arise for false teachers to rise up and get into your stuff. To get you to loosen your grip and to believe in the uh, sensuality, the false truth that Jesus is not the Lord. But Jude says this, To those of you who are called, beloved, who have placed faith in Jesus, you are kept. And then he ends, To him who is able, Jesus is the only one who is able, To keep on keeping on with you until the day of judgment when you face the reality of your sinful broken ways in front of the perfect Father. And the Father says, all is forgiven because of Jesus, who keeps with you, who guards and protects you from being taken away by the evil one. How is this possible? It's for you to keep on keeping on with the Lord, like a stream, like a tree planted by the water, bringing in that Holy Spirit truth continuing to build upon your faith on the foundational truth that Jesus is Lord and to keep with the love of of God, knowing full well that it cannot be taken away. And so like my grandfathers would play with cards, you play to win. And unlike my pop-up, it's not just a game. This is a war for our souls. And so play to win, knowing that God has won and play for keeps, to keep with the Lord, knowing that you have been kept. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the good news of the gospel, that the gospel is sufficient, no matter what the world tries to say and to say differently, no matter what culture says in saying that you are not real, that you are fake and imaginary, no matter what culture and people say about the believers who aren't true, who are hypocrites, beyond all of that, your truth rings out above that noise as absolute. May us never forget that. May us constantly keep with that. May us always play to win this game of life, knowing full well on the day that we come to see you in your glory and receive ours, that we will be presented blameless Because of this great promise in your son, Jesus. And let us realize that that is the ultimate game changer. That no one, no schemes of man could ever take away. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. But now here, receive the benediction to him who is able to him who is able to keep you blameless and spotless before the Lord. May you go knowing that promise. May you go knowing that truth. May you live that truth in an effort to win and an effort to play for keeps. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people, amen. amen. Have a wonderful day, everybody.